Alright, so good evening everybody. We are this uh, week on our second class in relation to the Ibn Ezra's commentary on Chumash. Well, we summarized last week what we ended up basically coming out was really with the Ibn Ezra's introduction. We didn't really have a chance to get that much into the Ibn Ezra in Bereshus itself. We'll do maybe one Ibn Ezra from Bereshus today. And as I said, we'll catch up on some of those Ibn Ezra's in the coming weeks. What we came out with last week was the Ibn Ezra, five different approaches on the, the different commentaries, how they um, interpret, and we went through, in terms of those various different commentaries, of how they interpret the Chumash, we went through four or five that the Ibn Ezra didn't agree with. Right, the first was the one that had been adopted by lots of people in the Ibn Ezra's generation, and they just talk a lot, but don't actually get to the nub of the truth. The Ibn Ezra's example is that there's a circle, and in the circle there's a dot. Um, the dot is the truth, everything else around it, uh, including the outer rim circumference, and those that don't even make it there are the various different other approaches. So the first approach were those that you know, talk a lot, he names names, he names and shames, as we discussed last week. The second approach, as we mentioned, were those that distort. Um, again, he goes after the Karaites and others um, for doing that. The third approach that we said was effectively, um, it's not even in the circle, it's just totally wrong, it's just darkness. Um, <coughs> they're not dealing with it all with shot. they're just making up esoteric meanings and the like. He won't go near that one. The fourth shot, the fourth approach was pretty close to the dot. It's the path of, of, of the rabbis uh, in his in his day and age, and those that came before. It's the uh, those that rely on the matters, the approach of Chazal. Um, but in the context that the Ibn Ezra is writing in his introduction, as he says, is that look, anybody can write a medrash. You just um, you know, it's like clothes on a body. But not all midrashim are meant to be understood as pshat. Some midrashim are meant to be um, helping you remember something. Some of them are meant for kids. Some of them are meant to be good stories. And then the fifth approach, <coughs> the fifth approach, was the one which he's most taken by. Of course, it's his own. That's the one where you focus very strongly on the etymology of the words. You focus on the simple reading. Uh, you have Dibur Torah Adam, you have Pashib Shat and Mikriyatim Deb Shutai, and the like. That is the fundamental approach. This is very much going further than Unclus, but Unclus himself was a very true translation that clarified many things. And uh, the, the Ibn Ezra wants to again say that although there is still Jirash, the Torah has 70 different faces, but what we're going to try to do is use Pshat as much as we can. However, when it comes to the mitzvahs of the Torah, if there's something in Pshat that will go against what the Halacha says, we will go with the Halacha and not say the Pshat. That is, in short, a summary of what we did last week in terms of the Ibn Ezra's approach to Chumash. What I entitled this week is the Ibn Ezra's fealty to Chazal. And we're going to see that play out through this Sedra, as well as through the super commentary of the Ibn Ezra, the Avi Ezra. What I'd like to begin with is a few things that I didn't mention last week. Namely, the Ibn Ezra does not mention Rashi in his introduction. 
Although the Ibn Ezra does quote Rashi a little bit more than uh, the, the fingers on a hand, nevertheless, he does not mention Rashi in his introduction. He refers to him every time he quotes him very respectfully, but he does not quote him in his introduction. That's something to bear in mind. Why not? Why didn't he quote him? Is it because of the fact that he didn't have access to his full commentary? Is it because he didn't want to say something negative about Rashi? It's unclear to me that, that there is specific evidence as to why. But it's to be borne in mind, especially when we find Ibn Ezra's that are mirroring or parroting what Rashi says. Why is the Ibn Ezra parroting Rashi if he had access to Rashi? Is a question to think about. Additionally, as I've mentioned in the past, a couple of years ago when we were doing the Rashbam's approach, I mentioned that while the Ibn Ezra did not like the approach of the Rashbam, in many places he is clearly responding to the approach of the Rashbam and perhaps he had access to it. We know, again, that the Ibn Ezra wrote his Igeris HaShabbas in response to the Rashbam's comment in last week's Sedra about Vayer Vayer I don't want to get into any of that now because that's going to take up too much of our time, but if, uh, happy to refresh anybody on that if they want and send that those classes from some years ago. But the Ibn Ezra wrote a whole book responding to a, one comment from the Rashbam. That comment has been deleted out of many of the Makros Gdos Chumashim, so you have to get one of the, the older, you know, Das Mikra type or, or ones that are not censored. Um, the Ibn Ezra does not mention the Rashbam in his introduction. And it makes sense why he doesn't mention the Rashbam because, again, he's usually going up against the Rashbam. He wrote a whole book decrying one comment of the Rashbams, uh, where the Rashbam effectively says that the night is the, not the beginning of the new day as, as we would have in Halacha, but rather the new day begins when the day comes about. Um, so, to bear in mind, the, the Ibn Ezra does not quote either Rashi or the Rashbam in his introduction, probably for very different reasons. One other point. We didn't mention last week, but the Ibn Ezra has a super commentary, the Avi Ezra. We're going to go through some of his comments as we go along. In the older versions of the Kuros, because also I don't know about um, every version, and I certainly don't know about versions today, the Ibn Ezra is the only one that came with a super commentary. The Ramban didn't have one. In a sense, you could say Rashi has a super commentary, the Sitzah Chacham, that they would put in there. But you didn't have a super commentary on the Ramban or the Kliyak or the Sfarno, the Arachayim, etc. The Ibn Ezra needed one. And the question is, uh, well, did the Ibn Ezra need one as much as the Rashbam? Probably not. But the Rashbam wrote much more laconically. The Ibn Ezra is, is a little bit more verbose than the Rashbam. And so <coughs> perhaps there's more areas um, where people can get concerned. So what we're going to talk about today is what the Ibn Ezra considered his unswerving fealty to Chazal and whether or not everybody agreed with that and everybody thought of it in the same way, this will be some of the conversation for today. So, let's begin. We discussed that the Ibn Ezra was very clear when he said that he was proclaiming his fealty to the words of Chazal, and he said the following. He said, 
Pshat doesn't go away, doesn't turn around and, and hide its head just because of Drash. Pshat stays, it is true, there are 70 faces of Torah, Pshat is one of them, we don't have to stop the Pshat because of a Drash. However, when there's Torah's Mishpatim or Chukim, when there's actual mitzvahs, practical halachic implications to an interpretation, then we will stay with the interpretation of Chazal, we're not going to go with the Tzadukim and other Karaites and Sadducees and others who disagree, who want to say that the rabbis misunderstood a Pasuk, it wasn't going according to grammar in terms of the way they, they dash in the Pasuk, the scholars, they're all speaking MS. We're going to follow that path and that route. And be it what may, we are not going to go against halacha in terms of our interpretation. This is the Ibn Ezra in his introduction. This is his cause to love. This is what he is announcing to everybody. The Ibn Ezra announces this again in Parashash Mishpatim, exactly where the Rajbam announces the opposite, exactly where the Rajbam opens up by saying, look, at the end of the day, the practical halacha remains what the practical halacha is. Chazal say what they say, and that is the halacha, and that won't change. But when it comes to a mikriyatim deipshutai, I'm going to interpret the verse that has nothing to do with halachic implications. I'm going to interpret the verse the way the verses ought to be interpreted. And if that contradicts the practical halacha, so what? For the Ibn Ezra, where he, like I said, it sounds like he's responding, even though he doesn't quote the Rashbam, which again has very modern overtones for rabbis who are clearly responding to other rabbis but don't want to mention them. They don't want to give that sort of credence. In this case, the Ibn Ezra goes on in the beginning of Mishpatim to say the same exact point. Says the Ibn Ezra in the beginning of Mishpatim, and he, he reiterates, V'hineh barak we're going to rely on the rabbis for their understanding of all the mitzvahs as they received it from their forefathers, and we are not going to change from that. And Iota. And, 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 and the Ibn Ezra continues, and he says, Before I start to interpret Paris of Mishpat, I'm going to let you know something. Any law, any command. That any problems in terms of interpreting or understanding, we're going to view it as a chisarit in us. It's us who's weak. We don't have the ability to interpret adequately, and therefore we're going to rely on chazal and not assume that we're going to sort of one-up, we're going to be better than them in terms of interpretation. This is the approach of the Ibn Ezra that he mentions in the beginning of Mishpatim. He mentions it actually over there a couple of times. A few psukim later, he says again about, um, uh, he's quoting about the Pesach of Ayin Tachas Ayin, right? that we know that eye for an eye can be understood as Ayin Mamish, and and of course Chazal said it's not. It means mama, and it means you don't say an eye for an eye literally. It means monetary compensation, 
And the, the Ibn Ezra says over here, It's impossible to interpret any of the mitzvahs of the Torah with a complete understanding and a complete commentary if we don't rely on the words of Chazal. When we accepted the Torah, we also got with it an oral law. In Hefresh Bernayim, there's no distinction or difference between the Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat Pet. The comment, the, the passage which says that it's an eye for an eye. That sort of it ought to be that way, but not practically. That, of course, is not the, the law or the rule. And as we pointed out last week, the Ibn Ezra, both in his introduction to Chumash, as well as in, in his book that we, uh, we, we quoted last week called the Yisrael Meira, the Ibn Ezra says what well, the Kuzari said and what they Dan said and many, the Rambam, many others say, which is there is no ability to even understand one mitzvah in the Torah without the oral law. Every mitzvah is entirely limited in its understanding if you just read it from Chumash. So therefore, as a result, we are beholden to this other body of law known as the Tarsh Balpet, and therefore I'm going to subject and subjugate my interpretation, my interpretive abilities are limited when it comes to any practical halachic ramifications, that is the opinion of the Ibn Ezra as we have just contrasted it with the Rashbam in the beginning of Mishpatim. Now, as we mentioned, the Ibn Ezra has his own super commentary called the Avi Ezra. If you look at the beginning of Bereshus, the beginning of Bereshus, there is a comment from the Ibn Ezra, and the Avi Ezra goes off on the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra opens up his comment to Bereshus, the beginning of his commentary. So this is last week's Sedra, not this week's Sedra. He opens it up by saying, look, the word Bereshus is a difficult word. He says, Chachamenu Amru, our rabbis, Chazal say, there's a medrash that suggests, Shehabez Noisaf, Kebez Barishayna, that the base is extra, like the Pasuk later on says by Avram Avinu, that he went back to the place that, that he had offered a carbon on a Mizbech Barishayna. That the base is extra, it's not really necessary. And says the Ibn Ezra, if that's true, um, if the, that the Chachamenu said this, then the base shouldn't be uh, the way we have it. We have the base with a uh, Shiva, and it should really be a Kamitz Gadol. So therefore he says he doesn't like it. It's got to be a different reason. In the end, the Ibn Ezra comes out with the famous, right? We know that what it means, it's the beginning of. It's the beginning of the heavens and the earth. That's how he interprets it. But he says it can't mean that the Bayes is extra as Chazal would have in at least one interpretation. Again, without getting into the grammar of how a Kamitz Gadol works versus a, a Shiva, that's not of my interest. What I am interested in is what the what the Aviezer, what the super commentary says on the Ibn Ezra. This is how he's introducing, right? Imagine somebody's introducing a super commentary. This is how he's opening up a super commentary on the Ibn Ezra. And this is what he says. The Aviezer says like this. He says, Hine Harav Behakdoma Alatera Seyser Das Hamedrish. He says the the the, the Ibn Ezra is effectively going against the words of Chazal in his introduction. Why? What I didn't mention today, but I did mention last week, is that the Ibn Ezra, in one of the reasons for Midrashim, 
that he says, he says that Madrashim are sometimes made so that there should be a good story or something for the kids to know or to enjoy. And one of the examples that he gives is Bereshus, that there is a Chazal that says that the reason that the Torah starts out with a base for Bereshus is for like a bracha, so that there should be like blessing associated with the um, with the beginning. So Bereshus, the base is for bracha, for blessing. Says the Ibn Ezra, that's very nice. It's, it's good for kids. It's nice. It's a nice thing to say. So this is what the Aviezer writes. He says, This is a contradiction <coughs> to the Medrash. Because the Medrash is saying that they want to be blessing at the beginning of the creation of the world. And the, the Ibn Ezra contradicted the Medrash. The Ibn Ezra contradicted the Medrash by saying that this is for kids. This is not a real interpretation. And more than that, the Aviezer thinks that he's found the contradiction because if you look at another book that the Ibn Ezra called the Sefer Tzachais, over there, the Ibn Ezra says that the letter Kuf could be for Klala. So clearly, so clearly for the approach of the Aviezer, the Ibn Ezra is saying something that's contradictory. On the one hand, in the Hakdama to Beratius, he's saying that you can't understand this medrash that says that the Torah starts out with a base to fill the world with blessing, that's untenable. And yet, in this other sefer that he wrote, the sefer Tzachos, he says that a kuf is absolutely there to show you a klala, to show you something negative. So therefore, says the Aviyaz, this is his opening statement to the commentary, the super commentary that he writes on the Ibn Ezra. He says, the following. He says there was a another commentary on the Ibn Ezra called the Al Yasef. And the Al Yasef wants to make the following argument. The Al Yasef says that there were different recensions of the Ibn Ezra's commentary. And we know that that's true. Certain books of Chumash, the Ibn Ezra had what we call a Parisha Kutzer and a Parisha Arch, a short commentary and a long commentary. Says the Al Yasef. If you find a problem with the Ibn Ezra's commentary, like let's say it's contradicting a Medrash or something like this, or it's contradicting itself, you should assume that there were different recensions of the Ibn Ezra and part of it was adopted correctly, part of it was adopted incorrectly. In other words, the editors, the, the copyists, they didn't understand what they were putting in. If you look at, say, the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, the, the like the uh, the ones that they have in the the actual autographed copies that they have in the in 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 Oxford, they have in different places. The British Museum, I think, they have different copies where the Rambam said, "I I wrote this with my own hand." You also have his notes. He made changes. If somebody was reading it and just put everything in, what was in the main and what was in the footnote. And just put it in all the same, you end up with mistakes. You end up with things that don't that don't make sense. So essentially, what the Oyes wants to argue is that there's different versions of Ibn Yabazura based upon different things that he was writing at different times, and sometimes it was just copied incorrectly. Says the Aviezer, 
that, that's not an acceptable response when it comes to contradicting a medrash. Because there's no way that the Ibn Ezra would ever contradict a medrash. Period. Full stop. Instead, what you have to say is that the Ibn Ezra had students, people over the generations, who wanted to sort of put in their own Torah, put in their own you know, pearls of wisdom, and they did so on the Ibn Ezra's account. You know the joke? It's a great joke. It's Hassam Sefer. They say it now by other people also, but the famous line from Hassam Sefer, he says to somebody, some rabbi, he says, I have no problem if you want to say my Torah in your name. Just so long as you don't say your Torah in my name. In other words, the Ibn Ezra had people who wanted, you know, who were very interested in his commentary, and they were excited about it, and they wrote their own comments in. But their own comments were not the Ibn Ezra's comments. So, for the Avi Ezra, he will take the Ayel suggestion that there were different recensions only when there's contradictions in the Ibn Ezra. If there's a contradiction in the Ibn Ezra, then I'll say it's different versions of the Ibn Ezra. But if there's an Ibn Ezra contradicting a Medrash, then that's not going to be the Ibn Ezra. That's going to be some Talmud Torah. That's going to be some mistaken student. Now, everyone knows, I think, that the mistaken student is a great fig leaf that rabbis over the centuries have used, over the literally centuries, to dispute a comment that they don't like. And so they say, look, it was a Talmud Torah wrote it. It obviously wasn't the opinion of that rabbi. Very famously, perhaps, um, Moshe Feinstein and the English Moshe writes that there was a comment from a sefer from Menachem Tzuni, uh who says that obviously it couldn't have been written by this person who he, he doesn't even know who he was but he says it can't be written by this person obviously it had to be a Talmud Torah and those that so the Shuva said like Rabbi Moshe was not familiar with this Kabbalistic you know author in the, in the in the sort of late medieval era but he was a real he was a real rabbi. He wrote a he wrote a book called the Tzuyuni. He was known as the Hatzuyuni, and this comment is a legitimate comment. Don't say it's a Talmud Torah just because you don't like the comment. But that's effectively what the Aviezer is telling you about how he's going to approach the Ibn Ezra's commentary on Chumash. But she doesn't like it right in the very first pasuk. Forget the introduction where he contradicts the Medrash <laughs> in the mind of the Aviezer, simply saying that this Medrash that says that Bereshia starts with a base because it wants to fill the world with blessing, which the Ibn Ezra sort of relegates to, it's nice for kids. That, for the Avi Ezra, is contradicting the Medrash. And in the beginning of our Parsha of Bereshia, when he says, another Medrash, that Bereshia's <coughs> the base is extra, that that can't be the case because it wouldn't be with a Shvah, be with Kamat's God, that will be another contradiction of Medrash. So for the Aviezer, none of this would be written by the Ibn Ezra. Anything that's contradicting a Medrash is not written by the Ibn Ezra. But of course, that's his way of saying that it can't be that the Ibn Ezra is disagreeing with these Medrashim. But is the Ibn Ezra disagreeing with these Medrashim is the question. So what I would like to make the argument to you now is that this is a very, very, very aggressive way to understand the Ibn Ezra, who is writing throughout his introduction how he doesn't want to go against the Chazal in any way, how he's proclaiming his fealty to Chazal, clearly we have to understand the Ibn Ezra 
qua the Ibn Ezra. We have to understand the Ibn Ezra in his own terms. In other words, the Ibn Ezra didn't view himself as contradicting the Midra, the, the Madrash. Forget what the Avi Ezra suggests. The Ibn Ezra didn't view himself as doing that. And to put in that every time the Ibn Ezra makes a comment, that's a difficult comment for the Avi Ezra, that it must be a Talmud Torah is trying to you know, put in his own wisdom, it's a very difficult statement to say. So what we need to do, the challenge is, to understand the Ibn Ezra on his own terms. Ibn Ezra didn't think he was contradicting the Medrash. What did the Ibn Ezra think? We know that he absolutely subjugates and subjects his commentary to halachic analysis in the sense that he will not make a shot commentary, or at least we will see contradictions to that, but at least he says he will not make a pshat, exegetical uh, 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 comments that go against halacha. Again, we'll see exceptions to that, but but just for, for now. And he proclaims his fealty to the Medrash. So how could the Ibn Ezra say these comments about the Medrash while still at the same time saying, of course, I'm, I'm totally, absolutely, you know, unswerving adherence, unswerving fealty, unswerving fidelity to the words of the Medrash. How does he do that? So, that's where, that's where we'd like to go um, for today. So let's move on and say a, uh, uh, something from Bamidbar. You'll see why it becomes relevant later on. The question is, who was Bilam? Where did Bilam come from? This has been the big debate for a long time. It's not a very clear answer. Is Bilam from Midian? Is he from Aram Narayim? These are questions that have been discussed over the ages. I don't want to get into the details now. But where Bilam is from, according to the Pasuk, sounds like Vishlach Malachim El Bilam Ben Ba'ar. Balak sent messengers to Bilam. Pesera, Ashir Al Anar, Eretz Bnei Amai, Likvarlai. He sent messengers to Bilam Ben Ba'ar in a place called Pesera, which is on the river. It's the land of his people. Now, says the Ibn Ezra, Eretz Bnei Amai, what is this? What is this place? Uh, uh, the land of his people. These are our Arameans. And we know about this because there's a Pasuk that says, Later on, we're going to learn that in the Varim. So, clearly says the Ibn Ezra, Bilam is from Aram Naraim. He's an Aramean. Pesera, like Mitzrayma, is Pesera, is a place near there. Or in that in that vicinity, in that area. But there's a Medrash, Ubedrash, and the Medrash tells us, Shabilam Hubela, Bilam ben Ba'ar, is Bela ben Ba'ar. If you remember, Paris Vayishlach at the end, the Pasuk tells us, Yisrael. These are the kings, the Edomite kings, the descendants of Esau, who ruled before they became a king in the Jewish people. And who was it? One of the kings is Bela ben Ba'ar. Sounds like Bela ben Ba'ar, right? It's pretty close. The measure says they're the same. Hainuhach, Bilam and Bela, they're both the sons of Bar, those are the same guys. So the Ibn Ezra brings down this Medrash that Bela ben Bar and Bilam ben Bar are the same. Otodavar, they are the same people. Kizar Rami, <coughs> because he was an, uh, an Aramean. Vim Ba'avor, Bar Aviv, Hine ben Achashverish, Kerem Achashverish. 
says the Ibn Ezra, this is an untenable pshat. To say that Bilam ben Be'ar is the same as Bela ben Be'ar, that Bilam equals Bela because they both had a dad named Be'ar, then basically what you're saying is something absurd. Because, imagine we go now to the Megillah, go to Ezra and Nehemiah. What was the name, right? Maybe his name wasn't Xerxes, maybe it was a different name. But Achashverish, we know he had a son, and his son's name was Darius, or Dayavesh. He was also a preceding king before Achashverish, was also named Darius I, another Dayavesh. So it says the Ibn Ezra, tongue-in-cheek, here we see the caustic humor of the Ibn Ezra. Something we're going to have to focus on in the class is just the caustic humor of the Ibn Ezra. It's full of his commentary. He, he is very, very acerbic tongue, and he lets various commentaries have it. So says the Ibn Ezra that if merely the same name means the same person, so we got Ba'ar in two places, that means that their sons are the same. Bella and Bilam got to be the same because Ba'ar is the same person. Well, then, you know, we should say that Darius was both Achashverosh's son and his father. Right, because Dayavish comes before Achashverosh and after Achashverosh. So obviously, he was he was born of a Dayavish and he had a son Dayavish and they were the same people. Dayavish is both Achashverosh's father and his son. Which is obviously patently and absurd and it's meant to evoke laughter. You're supposed to be laughing behind your screen because this is a joke. It's obviously not possible for Achashverosh to have both a fa- uh, as a father and a son the same person. This reminds us of the famous Yavamas joke, um, which is very, very complex, but try you know, certainly if you can go through that joke to figure out how could your 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 mother both be your grandmother and your aunt and your daughter all at the same time, but not not for right now. So this is Ibn Ezra's point. Why am I bringing up this Ibn Ezra right now? That Bilam and Bella are not the same. Because what was he bothered by the Ibn Ezra? What he was bothered by is that the Psukim there in the end of Ayishlach are talking about Esau's family. They're talking about Edomites. They're talking about kings of Edom. There's nothing to do with Midian. There's nothing to do with Aram Narayim. This is a, like nothing in that area whatsoever. This is the south part of Eretz Yisrael. Southeast part of Eretz Yisrael. It's not the same place. <coughs> so just to say that they're the same people because they have the same name is not sufficient for the Ibn Ezra. But the Aviezer there, the Aviezer there goes off on the Ibn Ezra. Says the Aviezer, Shorile Mari, right? Akash Baruch should have mercy on the Ibn Ezra. Shahu Neged Medrash Rabbi Senu. Because he's going against the Medrash of the Rabbis. And he says the Mizrahi already went after him. That is to say, the terminology employed by the Aviezer, Shorile Mari, God should have mercy on the Ibn Ezra. That's a pretty serious language. You don't find that language too much in Shas. Right? One of the famous places that you find that in Chazal is the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara says over there, it's pretty similar language to the one that he uses. Different spelling, but the same idea. The Gemara says, over there there was a rabbi. And this is the context of all the different opinions of when the Messiah has to come. You know, uh, when is the Kate's? 
So the more there says that Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Hillel makes an appearance. We don't know who Rabbi Hillel is, but here he makes an appearance and he says like this. Says Rabbi Hillel, Ain't let Mashiach Yisrael is not going to be Mashiach for the Jewish people. Why? Because he's already arrived in the time of Chizkiah. Chizkiah meaning the king of Israel. Um, Rabbi Yosef, surely Marla Rabbi Hillel, Kodesh Baruch should have mercy on Rabbi Hillel for saying such a thing that there's no Messiah who's going to come. Chas So I'm I'm kind of perplexed by this Aviezer. On the one hand, if you stick to what you said at the beginning of Bereshis, that whenever you find the Menezer that's going to contradict the Chazal, just blame it on a Talmud blame it on a student that was an erring student who added in his own two cents. So do that here. Why you got? Why didn't he got to have mercy on the soul of Ibn Ezra? God should have mercy on the soul of the erring student. It wasn't Ibn Ezra who wrote it. Of course, <coughs> let's assume it is the Ibn Ezra. So, again, for the Avi Ezra, then God needs to have mercy on the soul of the Ibn Ezra for making the suggestion, but not for the Ibn Ezra. You understand? For the Ibn Ezra, he's not going against Chazal. He's going against this medrash. He's not going against Chazal. When it comes to a mitzvah, when it comes to halacha, he's of course going with Chazal. But for the 70 phases of Torah, as a matter of pshat, to say that an Edomite is an Aramean, that's not pshat. That is part two of the Abiezer and the Ibn Ezra. We'll get to part three soon enough. But before we do, I wanted to at least talk about a few other Ibn Ezra's in this week's Saturday that relate to this point, and we'll come back to this. The Ibn Ezra, like Unculus, cannot bear ascribing any anthropomorphic qualities to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the same way that Unculus goes out of his way to not literally translate the Pasuk of Ayarach Hashem Esriach HaNichayach after the carbon that Neach and his family, that they bring after the flood, and the Unglis had translated Vakabal Hashem Barava Yas Korbane Hashem accepted with a, with a, with a certain equanimity. I'm not sure exactly how you say happiness, the carbon. But not that Hashem smelled the carbon. So the Uncle says the same. Khalila Khalila. He says, Liyas Hashem to say that Akarish Bahu smells the carbon and enjoys it or eating is Khashem. You can't say this about Akarish Bahu. This of course is in um, an agreement with Chazal, right? What did Chazal say? The Gemara Chagiga says that in relation to in relation to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the Gemara says in 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 uh, in 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 the heavens, in the malav lo yeshiva lo yamida, right? Lo erf lo apay lo ipoy. There's no there's no standing. There's no sitting. There's no tiredness. There's no turning the back. There's like everything is perfect. And as the Ram says in the introduction to Parichelik. There's no physical. <coughs> there's no. <coughs> there's no physical manifestation of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Anything anthropomorphic and they find in the Torah needs to be retranslated to be able to be in accordance with the way that Chazal understood it, and the Ibn Ezra is doing that right here. That is to say, from a simple shot reading, maybe say Hashem smelled. Unclus wouldn't do it. The Ibn Ezra wouldn't do it. Why not? Chazal made it very clear that. Or should I say, the weight of Chazal made it very clear that these are not psukim to be understood literally. 
And so this is an example then of the Ibn Ezra sticking with Chazal and ensuring, even though here we're not necessarily dealing with a quote-unquote mitzvah, but it is an Avera for the Rambam. It's a fundamental cardinal sin. It's a, it's a denial of faith to believe that HaKadosh Baruch has any physical manifestation for the Ibn Ezra who's preceding the Rambam is saying the same. Again, preceded, of course, by Unklus, preceded by Chazal, all who said the same as well. So that's one example. Another example is, I think, a very, very, very interesting Ibn Ezra, but it's interesting in a, in a, in a way that you have to hold a little cup. So the Ibn Ezra says, the Pasuk says, Oid kol Hashem promises Neach after the flood. Oid call you my for the remainder of days of this of the, of, of, of the world. I'm not going to bring another flood. I'm going to have the four seasons. They're going to remain around. Says the Ibn Ezra. Oid call you my for the duration of the of the world. That shows you that the world has an end. So the Ibn Ezra opens it up by saying, There must be a clear end, a end of days, there is a Kate's cut, so there's a clear end to the end of this world as we know it. Now, of course, that's an opinion that is found in Chazal. I just finished giving, you know, 15 plus odd classes on the year 6000, so I'm not going to get into that now. But what the Ibn Ezra seems to be suggesting is again with Chazal that there is a Kate's cut. Listen to that Pasuk. I'd call you my arts. For the duration of the days of the world. Sounds like there's a Kate's Kutzer. There's a specific date when this world stops. And the Ibn Ezra is going with that. Okay. So he's adapting Chazal. But then you have to read the next words here, which are very, very cute. I, I personally think that what's going on here is a level of humor that's probably missed on, on many. And I, I like to think I'm in on the joke. But but you have to hold cup. Says the Ibn Ezra like this. Says the Ibn Ezra, and how wonderful it is, drash, how wonderful is the drasha, is the agarata, is the medrash, that is saviv shmona esrei elef. What is the drasha, saviv shmona esrei elef? This is a, the last pasuk in Yecheskel, and it's a Gemara that appears there in Sanhedrin. In this Gemara, it talks about all the different possibilities of when the Mashiach has to come all the different opinions on 6,000 years and all the other manifestations of, of opinions that the Gemara brings, there's a Pasuk. This is coming up in a separate context. One man, Rabbi, had said that there are 36 holy, like this, Lamed Vav Tzadikim. And then he gets a response, and the Gemara he gives a response. Rabbi <coughs> had said, There's not less than 36 Tzadikim in the world. In every in every generation, and and the Gemara says, "What do you mean? What about Rava? Rava says that there's eighteen thousand. There's eighteen thousand tzaddikim, and we know from the pasuk, this last pasuk in Yecheskel that says Savev Shmoina Esrei Aleph, and that pasuk itself in Yecheskel is talking about the end of days, about how the Yerushalayim the Beis is going to look. So the Gemara answers there that. In fact, these 18,000 and 36 are both correct. There's both 36 tzaddikim and there's 18,000. What's the difference between them? 
the the thirty six. They have Asplakari Hamira. They're like the Mamish. They're they're holding, right? They got really good vision of of Akarish Borch, whatever that means. They they really see what's going on. They're an incredibly spiritual high level. And the eighteen thousand, they they're not there. They have muddled vision. They have muddy vision. They have something. They certainly are <coughs> part of the spiritual elite, but they're not they're not on the level of the thirty six. The Laman Vav guys, those are special. Really special. That's the Gemara. Nothing to do with what? When Mashiach's coming. But it's right there in that sugya, among all the predictions. Says the Ibn Ezra, this is how he concludes. So you remember, the first words of the Ibn Ezra were, La'ais, the, the Pasuk says, Oid koi the, the, the for the duration of the remainder of the days of the earth, Says the Ibn Ezra, La'ais, this is for, the, like, to teach you a sign, to remind you, Kiesh locates Katsuf, that there is a set time, there is an end of days. Umanechbad, Durash, and how beautiful is the Medrash that says, Savashmana Esrayelef, surrounding him is 18,000, Rak Loyodanu Echaminayelef, but not even one in a thousand knows. So I think it's very cute. So he says, there is a Pasik, Oyd Koyameyaretz, which tells you, as a matter of pshat, that there is an end to this world. And that is accordant with the Madrash, which gave you a lot of different dates. And then he says, how beautiful is the drash, which appears in that very Gemara, with all the different predictions, that there are 18,000 people who know what's going on, but the Gemara says they don't really know what's really going on, compared to the 36, but they know what's going on to some degree. And it says the Ibn Ezra, but not even one of a thousand know. Meaning, that... Not even one of a thousand. Forget 36 would be two of a thousand, right? To get to 18,000, to have 36 who really know would be two of a thousand. Not even one of a thousand know. That is, nobody knows. Yes, there is an end date. Yes, that's how it seems from the Pasuk. But that whole gabar of all those different opinions, nobody knows. The takeaway, the takeaway, the way I'm reading the Ibn Ezra, the takeaway of that Gemara there in Sanhedrin with all the different predictions is nobody actually knows. And so, not even Echad Mini Elif. So he both he's adopting a Medrash and he's disqualifying any of those Medrashim as being an actual true statement all at the same time. Which is absolutely brilliant because it's done all in one sentence. It's like ten words. To me, this is classic Ibn Ezra. It's genius, it's funny, it's caustic, and it's in a line. Alright, let's move on. We have a few more Ibn Ezra to touch on. We have limited time. We gotta go through the rest here of the parish that I wanted to hit on. And we have to come back to that point I mentioned before. I mentioned to you that the Ibn Ezra when it comes to Halacha is very clear. That it's got to go with halacha. So he does the same thing as Unclus does in the parsha. The pasuk says, Right when you're going to spill somebody's blood, then your blood will be spilled. Unclus had said it has to be with, with witnesses. It has to be at the opinion of judges. None of that is in the pasuk. The pasuk just says, And Unclus is going to like whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's the dayanim? Where's the sad? And who? Where'd you get it from, Unclus? Unglis is doing it because he wants to make sure that no one gets confused and thinks anti-halachic kind of a conclusion that if somebody kills, you can kill without witnesses, without judges. 
says the Ibn Ezra. What does it mean? Shevech dam adam, bo adam dama yeshavech, be edem. Oyle ene hakal. Oyle avaradam, he gives various different interpretations, but one of which, of course, is with witnesses, which in Pshat certainly is not there, but again, he's doing it, he's opening up with that one, because again, with the halacha, it needs to be understood that that is definitely not going to, that's a practical mitzvah, it's a practical halacha, he's not going to be disagreeing with. Um, that conclusion, and therefore he's in, bringing it in into his interpretation. All right, so now for, for the remaining time that we have, I want to discuss the flood. The Ibn Ezra is very strong on believing that the flood covered the whole world. The Ibn Ezra stresses this, and he says like this. Says the Ibn Ezra that the, the flood took over the whole, the whole world. So everybody, any animal that had to survive, had to come into the Teva. And they came, says the Ibn Ezra, on their own volition. That is, like Chazal say, Noah didn't have to go running around to go get animals. They all came on their own. And what did they eat during the flood? What did the carnivores eat? Now, the Ibn Ezra, I'm not going to say that he was aware of this, but many animals that are carnivores eat herbs, eat grasses in order to be able to flush out their system. Say they have too much fur from whatever animals they've eaten. Sometimes they'll eat grass. They'll eat barks. They'll eat stuff in order to clean out their their intestines. So says the Ibanez, that's what they did for the year that they were in the Teva. They, that's what they ate. Which, of course, has a lot of very interesting parallels to the end of times, when there's dreams about the wolf lying down with the lamb, how's that going to be? What's the wolf going to eat? They eat lamb. They don't lie down with them. And there are those commentaries that say, no, all carnivores will become herbivores. The Ibn Ezra doesn't say that Nayak fed the lion, Leo the lion, he didn't feed him a choice steak. He fed him hay. <coughs> Which shows you that, to my mind, again, sort of the adoption of certain Midrashim. I don't know what the science of their day said, so I can't say that he was going against or going with the science of his day. I'm not 100% sure. But it seems clear that he's going with the Medrash, certainly, that all the animals came of their own volition. That he didn't have to go out and chase them. And again... As we said, the Ibn Ezra says that the flood covered the whole world. Even though it's a machlekes. The Gemara says that maybe Eretz Yisrael, according to Yechanan, wasn't flooded. The Eretz Yisrael at least was sort of left alone. But the Ibn Ezra says no. No, no. It covered the entire, the entirety. Everything. It covered everything. For the Ibn Ezra, the fact that the Pasuk says that even the mountains were covered by it covered even the mountains. 15 amas above the mountains were covered with water, says the Ibn Ezra. <coughs> says the Ibn Ezra. We believe the words of our God. And we ignore all the all the stupidity, all the drivel that comes out of other people. 
There was some very tall mountain in, in Greece. I don't know uh, about Greece. It has such tall mountains relative to the mountains in Afghanistan and Pakistan um, and in Tibet, you know, but there was some very tall mountain that was not covered. Says the Ibn Ezra, no, 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 no. In other words, for the Ibn Ezra, we're believing God's words. Forget the Medish. The Pusik, this is a very clear Pusik that says this. Now here is amazing, because here you have the Aviezer coming against the Ibn Ezra and saying, how could the Ibn Ezra go ignore the words of the Medrash, go ignore the words of Rabbi Yechanan? Rabbi Yechanan says that Eretz was spared the flood. How could Ibn Ezra call these people Mechasri Adas, people lacking wisdom? So, the Ibn Ezra coming along to be matzik, the words of God. The Ibn Ezra is saying that we can't go against the words of HaKadosh Baruch that says the whole world was covered. Says the Aviezer, how could the Ibn Ezra go against the words of the Medrash? If the Ibn Ezra is being matzik, the word of HaKadosh Baruch isn't that ultimately where we have to defend? Again, a thought to bear in mind. But for the Aviezer, what the Ibn Ezra is doing by going after the opinion only very shlakish is potentially to be seen as going against the Medrash because he's saying the whole world had to be covered by water. That's the opinion of only one Madan, very shlakish, or Biachim disagree. So he then tries to get into some sort of hermeneutical understanding that when he said Mechasri Adas, that they're lacking wisdom, he doesn't mean it exactly. He could have said it a bit of a different Lashen. I don't want to get into that now. But the way the Aviezer concludes here is fascinating. Because you know what the Aviezer says? He says, Go look in Parshas Vayishlach. About what the Ibn Ezra says over there on the, the Pasuk about Bela ben Ba'ar. You remember him? And how he says that no Medrash is lacking in wisdom, no Medrash falls to the ground without being caught, without having meaning. Well, let's go to the Medrash there, and let's go to the Ibn Ezra there in the Paris of Ayishlach. And of course, the Medrash there in Paris of Ayishlach, on the Pazik of Bela ben Bar, the Ibn Ezra says that this Bela ben Bar, he's not Bilam. In other words, forget what you, we discussed before in Bamidbar. Maybe you didn't see that before. You're just looking at it the first time in Bereshus. Bela ben Bar, he says, that's not Bilam. It can't be Bilam because one guy's an Aramean and one guy's an Edomite. They're two different places. But yet, but yet, there's a Medrash. The Medrash says that they're the same. So he says, hadrash. You know what the Medrash was trying to tell you? The Medrash was hinting by saying that Bilam ben Bar and Bela ben Bar are the same. The Medrash is trying to hint you that they were both magicians. And you know why I say this? He says, Because the words of the rabbis are not frivolous. They didn't waste their words. They didn't say something that was not sensical. They didn't say foolish things. Obviously, Bela ben Bar, Bilam ben Bar, they're not the same people. They're from different generations. They live in different places. But, but, <coughs> the rabbis had sense in everything that they, they pointed out. And what they were trying to point out is that these were both magicians. So it comes out 
to my mind, something hilarious. You end up in a situation where the Avi Ezer in Bamidbar is going after the Ibn Ezra and saying, Sharle Mari, God should have mercy on the Ibn Ezra. Because there the Ibn Ezra went after this Madrash and said that this Madrash doesn't work in the sense that Bilam cannot be an Edomite. Because otherwise Darius, otherwise Daryavish could be Achashverish's father and son at the same time. And yet over here, the Ibn Ezra just explains. He gives you the explanation of the Madrash. The Madrash is not a uh, just saying something a bit to say it. The Medrash has a has a substantive point. And the substantive point is that these were both magicians. For the Ibn Ezra, that suffices to explain <coughs> why the Medrash makes this comment. And the Avi Ezra loves it. In Beratius. So I put that as a side note. Why is the Avi Ezra loving in Beratius and hating it by Midbar? But really, fundamentally, this is the way to understand the Ibn Ezra. Not that the Ibn Ezra is contradicting Midrashim in the words of the Avi Ezra. That doesn't help you understand the Ibn Ezra. To understand the Ibn Ezra, you have to understand him through the lens of the Ibn Ezra himself. And within the lens of the Ibn Ezra himself, he's not contradicting whatsoever Chazal. He is illuminating certain Chazals. He is highlighting certain ones. and other ones, he's putting more by the wayside. But it's not because he's disagreeing with Chazal. The ones that he's disagreeing with, quote-unquote, are either ones that were there for a good story, they're there to help kids, they're there to make jokes, they're there for whatever particular reason, or sometimes they're trying to allude to something. But he's not disagreeing with the words of Chazal. Because in his mind, the Chazals that he's using are absolutely crucial to the text. But there's so many different words of Chazal. Not all of them have the same level of veracity, of literalness. For the Ibn Ezra, the only place where he absolutely cannot move an iota from Chazal comes when there's a practical mitzvah involved. As we said, unlike the Rashbam. So we have another minute. There's a very fascinating Ramban. Everyone talks about the Ramban on this parsha in relation to the rainbow. The Ramban very famously says, We are forced to listen to the words of the Greek scientists who have proven that you can make a rainbow just by putting the rays of a sun next to something um, that is uh, very humid, very very watery. And therefore he's willing to reinterpret the verse of Eskashti Nasati Be'onon to say that the rainbow was always around, but now it takes on additional meaning as being a sign of God's covenant with the world. But not for the Ibn Ezra. If you look at the Ibn Ezra, the Ibn Ezra preceded the Ramban. And it was referred to the Ramban, or was referred to the Ibn Ezra as Rabbi Avram, as opposed to Rabbeinu Shlomo, as opposed to Rabbeinu Moshe for the Rambam. Ibn Ezra doesn't get a Rabbeinu, he's a Rebbe. Appellations matter. But the Ibn Ezra preceded the Ramban, writes, that you have to say that the rainbow existed only now. This was the creation. The rainbow was created now. But then he says, but if you want to believe the words of the Greeks, you hear the difference between that and the Ramban? The Ramban said, 
We must listen to the words of the Greeks. But not the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra says, If we were to believe the words of the Greek scientists. But not that we have to. So then says the Ibn Ezra, it's not to say that all of a sudden, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a new meaning in the rainbow. No. The Ibn Ezra is not satisfied with that. That's the Ramban. Is. The Ramban says there was always a rainbow. It's a natural phenomenon. But now it was endowed, it was imbued with more meaning after the flood. But not the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra would prefer to believe that the sun <coughs> only created a rainbow starting after the flood. But if you want to believe the words of the Greeks, that it always existed, it was always a natural phenomenon, then he says you should still believe that the sun's rays got stronger now. In other words, it may have always been the case that a rainbow would be a natural phenomenon. That's true. But it only starts to get created now because of the sun's rays getting stronger. You see how he's struggling to interpret the Pasuk and the way it's understood by Chazaz of a new sign that HaKadosh Baruch made with the world, the simple understanding of the Pasuk. And unlike the Ramban, the champion of Chazal, who is willing to reinterpret a Pasuk and put aside Chazal to accord with science, the Ibn Ezra is not. The Ibn Ezra is not. One last Ibn Ezra in this parsha, just to conclude, which is in the end of the very end of the Sedra, where it discusses who was, in fact, Yiska. The Chazal say that Yiska is Sarah, she was says the Ibn Ezra, classic immortal words, Vim Kabbalah Nekabel. If this is really a Kabbalah, we'll accept it. It's not a Kabbalah, so therefore he doesn't agree with it. But this, I think, epitomizes the approach of the Ibn Ezra, which is we're going to have unswerving fidelity to Chazal in the large sense, not in the sort of lowercase Chazal sense. That is, the big pictures of Chazal, whether it's in Halacha, whether there's a specific Kabbalah, we're going to do the best we can to stay within the Chazal's understanding of the Psukim. However, we won't do it with our eyes closed in the sense that they're going to be Midrashim, they're going to be, that have as their basis things that have nothing to do with literal Pshat and the Psukim, and those we won't have to utilize in terms of our interpretation. So that concludes for tonight. Have a wonderful Shams. Thank you, Shkosev. Yeah.